Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I, my grandfather gave my dad advice, who then gave me advice. And actually, I think it was on the first ever Five Leadership Questions podcast. And it was keep the room clean where you are until God opens the door to the next place. Basically, the idea is God puts you where you are. So keep that place the way that it would honor the Lord. So do, do your work, keep it clean, have high standards, and then a door will open instead of constantly trying to break down a new door. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh? Doing yep. good, man. Doing good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Hey, we're we're excited because today uh, we get a we get a. He's not an old friend per se, but <laughs> he's a friend that we've had for a while. That's probably the best way to say it. But we're excited to have a conversation with Barnabas Piper, who is on staff at Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He is also the author of The Pastor's Kid and Help My Unbelief, and he co-hosts the popular Happy Rant podcast. Exciting news as well. He also has a new book coming out called Hoping for Happiness. Barnabas, happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's good to see y'all's faces again after what has been several months of, well, we we all work at different places now, but then also we were working from home and then we were quarantined and whatever. So good to see y'all again. Good yeah. To see you. Well, the one you left. Yeah, that's <laughs> my fault. And then my I left. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. And quarantine. So yeah, it just is what it is. I'm I'm the only one holding it down at Lifeway still. You got it, bro. You got it. <laughs> I mean, like the only one still working at Lifeway, period. I mean uh no, there's still plenty, but the okay. only one of this three. I don't know. I've heard rumors, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll clarify that. Okay. Chandler, Chandler is still there, so we're good to go. <laughs> yes. Not not working there in person. Of course, we're still working remotely, so craziness. Well, Barnabas, we're excited um, to have you on. I know Josh mentioned that you have a book coming out this fall called Hoping for Happiness. Of course, you've written um, a couple others as well. Can you share a little bit about the new book and kind of how it came to be? Yeah, it's um, so it's it's a book that is trying to find what is a what's a realistic kind of biblical expectation for being happy in this life. Um, I feel like when you look around, you see there's kind of two extremes. There's there's the one extreme on the conservative Christian side who tend to be suspicious of happiness. You know, happiness is opposed to godliness. It's opposed to holiness. It's, it's usually sort of a trite thing. And so there's sort of a suspicion of it. <clears throat> and then you get the other side, which is probably the majority of the American population, which is like this manic pursuit of happiness, just always chasing the next experience, the next promotion, the next job. You know, I had a conversation with a guy and this, I put this in the book, but this was one of the things that sort of sparked it for me. I had a conversation with a guy maybe three, four years ago. We just, you know, we're hanging out at a friend's house. I just met him. He asked me what I did for work. Um, it was when I worked at Lifeway and I, I told him what I did. And he goes, do you love your job? <laughs> and it was, it was at a point where I was getting ready to transition out. And I, my response, I said, I'm grateful for my job. I really like my coworkers. Uh, you know, it's, it's where God has had me. Like it's, it's good. And he goes, man, if you don't love it, you need to go find something you love. Mm. And I thought that is the worst advice <laughs> because everybody will just constantly be chasing the job that feels good instead of 
being where God has put them and doing good work. And so mm-hmm. that, that was, it's that mindset that I kind of wanted to write against on one side, but then also I feel like, well, if God didn't want us to be happy, why did he make cheeseburgers and bacon and dogs and things that are awesome? Uh, so clearly there's a place for happiness in this world. So trying to find what is a realistic expectation for happiness in a world that's broken, but that's not this sort of endless, like hamster wheel pursuit. So that's the gist of it. So helpful. And as you were saying that one thing that Josh and I, we just recorded an episode for one year of the podcast and we were talking about, congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, We were talking about what we've learned over the past year of talking with leaders ahead of us. And we were talking about calling and how oftentimes, and we've asked the question, Hey, can you describe calling? And people will say, you know, you may not enjoy your job right now, but the Lord is using it to form you into who he wants you to become. So hearing you say that, especially younger leaders, people who are in their you know first couple of jobs, your first job is probably not going to be your favorite ever. So I know you wrote a whole book on this and it's coming out soon, <laughs> but can you, can you just kind of share some advice for somebody who's sitting in that job that the same way as you were, maybe even a different answer would be, no, I, I don't enjoy my job. Yeah. But how do you find happiness and how is the Lord using that to form you? Yeah, I think uh, the the unhappiness in a job, is, there's a lot of reasons you could be unhappy in a job. And some of them are very good reasons to leave. You know, you're if you are somebody who's gifted in a particular way, or most of us have multiple gifts, God didn't usually just make people good at one thing. And you're not able to do any of those things. So you're just grinding away in something you're terrible at finding an opportunity to move might be good. However, Mm. happiness is not, it's not promised to us in our work. I mean, go back and read Genesis (laughs) three. Genesis three basically says work is going to be a pain. Often Genesis one says we were made to work. So there's this, there's this kind of balance counterbalance of God made us to be productive workers who are doing meaningful, purposeful things. uh, And, you know, and then, you read whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So there's these kinds of verses, but then there's also Genesis three. That's like by the sweat of your brow and your toil, will you bring forth anything and there'll be thorns and thistles and everything's going to be a mess. Um, <clears throat> so with that in mind, I think we kind of have to have the expectation that sometimes work sucks and mm-hmm. that's okay. Uh, the advice I got, I, my grandfather gave my dad advice who then gave me advice. And actually I think, it was on the first ever five leadership questions podcast. I remember um, this quote. So, and it was keep the room clean where you are until God opens the door to the next place. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. I might've gotten the quote a, a little bit wrong, but basically the idea is God puts you where you are. So keep, keep that place the way that it would honor the Lord. So do, do your work, keep it clean have high standards and then a door will open instead of constantly trying to break down a new door. Um, and I think we just have to have the anticipation that whatever job we're in. So I moved from Lifeway into a church position, which was entirely unexpected for me. I would not have written that script for myself. Uh, in fact, I had pretty, pretty, uh, intentionally not pursued that for a long time but I did not come into this position that I'm in now thinking I will be thrilled for the rest of my life Mm. because, because it's church work, you know, and that means I get to do awesome things with an awesome staff. And some days are really hard and some days are really long 
And sometimes I have to, I still have to deal with spreadsheets, which are the worst. <laughs> and, you know, expense reports still exist and that kind of stuff. And so there's just a level of, with the good comes some difficult. And, and, and you, you keep an attitude of thankfulness for the job you have. You keep a big picture perspective on God's hand in it, which for me is easier now than it would have been 10 years ago because yeah. I, can, I can trace back uh, what God has done to get me to where I am. And it's so obvious he did it because I wouldn't have done it. Um, <laughs> and the, other, the last piece of advice is every time I have ever tried hard to change my work situation, uh, I've screwed it up or I've been impatient, or I've knocked on doors that don't open, when I have decided to faithfully work where I am and let God handle the transition, I've been put in a spot that is clearly the best spot for me to be in next. So waiting on the Lord in your work is, I mean, it's a, it's a real genuine thing that God honors. He puts you in a place, you handle it well, and there will be a next place. Most of us are not going to hold down the fort somewhere for 40 years. So there's, there's just, there's fruit in that, uh, in waiting and, and doing good work where you are. I know somebody listening to me to hear that they're probably going through and they've been trying to push their way out of a job and just needed to hear waiting in your work is a, is a faithful thing. And the Lord's going to work in that. Um, and man, I, I just, I said, I remember the quote that I think your dad shared on the first five leadership questions podcast. And it's stuck with me is keep the room clean where you are. And that was something that impacted me. I'm still a young leader, but that impacted me earlier in my days. So hopefully if you're listening, that's a, a quote you can keep in the back of your mind just as wisdom from somebody ahead of you. Well, Barnabas, you talked through a, a few different positions kind of down the road yeah. of, of your leadership journey. How about you go ahead and share with us kind of the different leadership roles that have led you to where you are today? <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I got coming out of college, I, uh, I was working, I was working, uh, part-time at a church. So it was the kind of part-time that was full-time, but you got paid part-time, uh, <laughs> that version of part-time work at a church. So that was kind of my first ever official leadership position. So myself and another young guy, he was a grad student. I was just coming out of college or just finishing college were leading the youth group there. So I oversaw the high school students. He oversaw the junior high and middle school. It was a situation where the youth pastor had left. And so we were kind of left holding the bag. And so it was a, uh, it was kind of a trial by fire. And by God's grace, we didn't, uh, we didn't destroy anyone's lives or do anything <laughs> too insanely stupid. Um, and, and then moved from there into, into the publishing world, book publishing, which is where I spent the majority of my professional career. My, my work at Lifeway was a mix of book publishing as well as leadership development training, the stuff that you, you and I did some together, um, Chandler, and then you actually, I think you actually took my position when I switched <laughs> positions, if I recall, I but, yep. and then you took like nine other positions along with that. <laughs> but, um, so there was a few years where I was just, I was just kind of a worker bee kind of moving my way, learning the professional ranks. What is publishing? How is it? So kind of in-house sales, sales assistant, sales associate, then into an account management position which was, it's, it was less about people leadership, but responsibility for significant revenue. Um, and, and so that, that was a, you know, learned lessons of kind of stewardship and management. And then also just 
an account manager is a relationship builder. You have to be able to build the trust of like a buyer at Barnes and Noble, at Christian book distributors, at whoever, these big multi-million dollar companies. Um, and, and so that was, you know, that was kind of a, a significant step in growing in leadership. <laughs> Moved from that position to a, an educational startup job, which was the worst. Um, but one of those, it was, that was where I got a full, full on trial by fire education in faithfully working where you are because God puts you there, uh, despite it being an utterly miserable experience. So the, the leadership of that company were not very ethical people. Everybody was mean and hated everybody else. Uh, and the work we were doing served very little purpose from what I could tell. Uh, so it was kind of the trifecta of this is terrible. <laughs> but it was a thing God had provided when I needed it. And so I just kept doing it and had thankfully had wise older men in my life kind of, you know, you go to your corner, they squirt some water in your mouth, they yeah. put a towel on your neck and then they shove you back into the ring. And it was a lot of that. Um, then moved from that to another publishing company, Moody Publishers. And uh, again, was not managing a lot of people, but was, was a lot of different sort of relationship management within a larger organization. So working with other parts of the media company. So Moody Publishers, then there's Moody Radio, and then there's Moody Bible Institute. So we had a lot going on with professors and radio hosts and things like that. Um, I did acquisitions for a while. So that's working with authors on developing their work. So there's a, there's a stewardship of other people's ideas, not to mention caring for like, is, is this a book that is beneficial to people if we publish it? So there's, there's kind of a, a stewardship of ideas uh, there. Went from Moody to Lifeway, where I joined the Ministry Grid team, which then became Lifeway Leadership over the course of a couple of years. And that was a brand management, uh, marketing kind of position, but all of us wore all the hats because it was you know five people on a team getting a thing started. Um, and But that was an education and leadership because we interacted just a, an enormous amount with church leaders, many of whom I looked up to, some of whom it was more like, well, I don't want to lead like that person. <laughs> um, no names will be given on either side. We won't um, say Todd's name. Yeah, that's fine. We understand. <laughs> Todd, Todd Adkins was great to work for. I loved working for Todd. Um, he, he taught me a valuable lesson. He taught me a lot of things about leadership, but one of the things he taught me was the ability to give your, give your team the freedom Mm. to be good at what they're good at. Yeah. So myself and a guy named Kevin Spratt uh, would often go into Todd's office and just have these knockdown drag out arguments about what we should do next. And there was an understanding that when Todd said, this is what we're going to do, we said, okay. We're doing it, yeah. But Todd would not do that immediately. He would give us a lot of freedom to say why we thought we should do something else, why we should change direction, why we should hold off on this. Because he was... He just has an idea every seven seconds. And Kevin and I were like, we can't do something new every seven seconds. We got to wait like seven days sometimes. He's like, why not? <laughs> and I was just like, but it's, but it'd be amazing. And uh, so, but there was a lesson there in being the leader who you have to, you have to make the final decision and you are the buck stopper, but also you didn't hire people to not listen to them. He didn't hire drones. He hired people because he wanted yeah. us to be good at what we were good at. Yeah, and he good gave word. us the freedom to do that. Um, 
Then we started the Five Leadership Questions podcast, which again, I, I co-hosted, which basically meant I just got to ask a lot of questions from leaders and learned a ton through that. I didn't realize what I was learning at the time, I don't think quite as much as in retrospect, the amount that was just absorbed and then seeing the themes of what they said. You know, the ones who I respected most, there was just consistent themes in what were they learning? How were they learning it? What their character was, how they interacted with their families, these kinds of things that, that were formative. Yeah. And then I took a management position at Lifeway overseeing uh, the marketing team for our academic publishing and the development team for uh, the Bible software team. And, and that, that was kind of the first, that was my first opportunity since working with youth ministry to lead a team of, I guess it was like 15 or 20 people combined. Um, and, <clears throat> and it was all remote. Everybody who worked for me uh, lived out of state or worked from home. So kind of a unique management um, challenge right out of the gates because Lifeway still had mostly a work in the office culture at that point. Um, but yeah, and that became that became an exercise in you know, just learning the challenges of leading people through difficult, like they have something difficult going on in their personal life and it's affecting their work. How do we help people through that? How do you find the balance of, I understand that, but also you have a deadline. Um, helping people figure out how to overcome work style differences. Um, and then mm. also handing off responsibility to people. I leaned really heavily on some gifted project managers and the like, because they were good at stuff that I just wasn't. I was not going to be able to uh, shepherd people through their deadlines and things like that. I was, I was much better at the high level stuff and how does this team fit with the overall work, those kinds of things. But I needed Carol to be the one who was just day by day walking things to their completion because she excels at that kind of work. And, and so lessons in not, not even just delegation as much as um, recognition of who excels at what and please, yeah. please yeah. do that because I, I'm not good at that. Then I moved from there to Emmanuel Church where I am now. And I, I oversee our uh, small groups and discipleship ministry. And so now it's much more overseeing and shepherding several dozen people at a, at a, well, I guess more like hundreds, but at a, at a volunteer level, because we don't pay any of them, which, which <laughs> right. presents a different challenge because then there's yeah. the, the reason that anybody volunteers is purpose driven. They, you know, they believe in what they're doing or they don't. And so if they're not motivated or, or, you know, kind of, if they don't believe in what is happening, you just lost a volunteer or at least you lost an effective one. I also learned it's really hard to fire a volunteer you know, when somebody, <laughs> when somebody is not doing what they need to do, or they're doing yeah. it a way that you've asked them not to do it. It's really hard to get somebody to stop doing something that you didn't sign them up to do, or like, you're not, <laughs> you don't have any leverage here. So I see like a Michael Scott moment happening. With that. <laughs> like I'm trying to fire a volunteer. I'm just like, I, I see the scene playing out in my head, how it would go. Yeah. And I mean, ideally you don't want to, you want to help them see where they're not being the kind of volunteer you need and coach them and, and train yeah. them up. And thankfully most people respond well to that. Cause again, they signed up for a good reason. So yeah, it's been a, uh, it's been an interesting kind of like smorgasbord of leadership opportunities and lessons 
to where I am now, which is a much more um, just responsible for a lot more people and yeah. and some pretty weighty things. Because the other thing is moving into church ministry, I'm not responsible for budgets as much as I am like people's well-being. You know, when a pandemic hits and people feel isolated, well, church community is pretty essential. So what what am I doing to help make that possible, to facilitate that, to to walk people closer into that when they feel like they don't know what to do next. And so it's been a, uh, it's been a challenge, but one that I've, I, I have loved. And again, working with a staff of people who, who have the same passion and values and are really good at their jobs. It makes it, makes it both enjoyable and a lot easier. Yeah. So uh, it has been a lot of different things. Thanks for sharing. Uh, looking back, Think about the young Barnabas, right? It's an unseen leadership podcast. We got to look at the stories that mm-hmm. people haven't seen. And looking back at young Barnabas, when did you realize, and it might have been somewhere in there, but I would think beforehand, but when did you realize, oh, wait, I'm a leader? High school. Uh, I actually, well, I don't know that I realized as much as I was told, but I wasn't told <laughs> in a very like, <laughs> we believe in you way as much as like, <laughs> Stop screwing up because you're a leader. Yeah, so yeah. I was, I was, I think I was a junior in high school, and one of our youth group volunteer leaders, I will, his name was Shay McCowan, and I say that because he, because he very faithfully helped me for the next two years. So he was, he played a significant role in my life. But he said, "Hey, do you want to go out to lunch after church one day?" I said yes. He basically looked at me and goes, "You have all the ability to be a leader, and you're completely wasting it because mm. you're immature and a clown." That's a, that's a, a summary statement. Um, but it, it was the first time I can remember, I'm sure it, maybe it happened before that, but it's the first time I can remember somebody looking at me and basically saying, you have these abilities that God gave you. Yeah. You have a responsibility because you have the abilities and I intend to help you for the remainder of your time in high school, figure out how to use these. Um, <laughs> and so that, that was when I learned that I just didn't learn what it meant to be a leader for a long time. You know, mm. telling a 17 year old they're a leader is kind of an ego boost, which is not what most yeah. uh, outspoken 17 <laughs> year old boys need. So do you hear that? I'm a leader. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm in charge now. You got to listen to me. Yeah. yeah I'm, the, I'm the captain now. That's, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, go yeah. Well. yeah I, I probably was a bit of a pirate, you know, in terms of just <laughs> rolling in and taking over stuff. Yeah. I, thanks for sharing that. When do you realize, like, when do you think along, your leadership journey, like what was a pivotal moment for you that changed your trajectory in leadership or maybe it could be anything, maybe the way you viewed leadership or how it influenced your life. Like when was that moment and what was it? I would say up through my mid twenties, I, I had kind of this odd disconnect where I still had like Shay's words and that reality ringing in my Mm -hmm. mind. And I knew my own kind of personality capabilities whether it's, you know, charisma, force of personality, a sense of like, I can kind of walk into a room and dominate things, which is not the same as leadership, but I didn't have the kind of secure confidence to lead well, the kind of confidence that lets other people be good at what they're good. I mean, that's basically stems from Christ-like humility. And it was mid twenties for me was really pivotal because I got fired from a job because of a whole bunch of screw ups on my part which led to, I mean, financial crisis, faith crisis, a whole bunch of stuff that just brought me very low, which is exactly what I needed because I was never going to get low voluntarily. 
I was never going to, you know, I, I just wasn't, I, to be humble takes a profound amount of security in the Lord mm-hmm. because you're basically just volunteering to be lower than other people. And I wasn't going to get there. And so God humiliated me because that's what he does when you won't, <laughs> you won't voluntarily do it. <laughs> He's like, I'll do it for He's you. He's like, yeah, you, this is what you need, whether or not you like it. So here you go. It's kind of a little bit like when your child is afraid to swim, but you know they can, and you just chuck them in the pool. <laughs> it was kind of that moment for me. And then they, That's a good, then yeah. they panic and get mad at you, and then they realize they're swimming. So, yeah. um, like, oh, I'm happy you're doing this. They're like, you. oh, right, that worked. I, that yeah. was me a few years later. It just took me a while. Um, but that that was the... That was the beginning of a process. I wasn't like a light switch where all of a sudden I went from, you know, arrogant young guy to humble. But it was where I began to see the freedom in saying things like, I don't know, saying things like I was wrong. Uh, Just the basic baby steps of humility that then created a context where I could genuinely grow as a leader. So those whatever abilities God had given me were we're just being wasted uh, until they could be built on a foundation of identity in Christ, growing in humility. And I would never go so far as to call myself a humble person. I think that's, I don't, it's just something that I, I value highly and strive toward and still feel like I fall on my face a lot. Um, but, but that was, that was the pivotal time. It was like 26, 27, real crisis where God began to show me uh, what it means to have an identity in Christ, which is then the freedom to be humble because I mean, that's who Christ was and is, is the, you know, willing to lower himself despite having every right not to do so. Yeah. I think of uh, Chandler and I, we've talked about the past couple podcasts. It was recommended to us, Dane Ortland's new book, Gentle and Lowly. Yeah. You know what, what you're talking right now just reminded me of that book, yeah, Gentle and Lowly in Heart. Halfway through it right now, and you know, I think if somebody hasn't hasn't really thought through and dealt with the idea of lowliness, that book is a uh, it will undo them in a wonderful mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's almost just like a script of remembering God doing these things in my life. So it's a little bit more like, of a reinforcement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so just as much underlining, just as much appreciating, but just strikes a different tone because it's like, yep, for sure, yep, I remember that. Feel yep, that one. Don't want to do that um, again. Yep, yep. Don't don't feel like experiencing <laughs> that one again. Um, it was actually one of the one of the most profoundly helpful books for me though was um, uh, Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel. Just so good. The because again, it's 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 basically about the overwhelming love of God for people who suck, and which is all of us. <laughs> And it, uh, it just, it's so relentless that you can start, it, it's a little bit like, you know, the scene in Goodwill Hunting where the, the, it's not your fault scene Yeah, yep. Yep. where he starts and Matt Damon's like, yeah, I know, I know. And then he kind of fends him off and then he gets offended and then he gets annoyed and then he just breaks. That was a little bit of the ragamuffin gospel effect on me where it's like, yep, got this. Mm. Then I was annoyed. Yeah. And then I wanted to kind of buck against it and argue. And after a while, I was just like, no, this is true. Like this is, this is the God who loves us enough that being wrong, being humble, being repentant is, is where life exists. It's good. It's free. Um, and that, that, you know, that came a few years later, that was probably closer to when I was, I don't know, 31 or 32. And so it was, 
again, just God stringing this process out and continuing to faithfully move me. Yeah. Well, Barnabas, we can, we can cut this next question out if you want, but there is a, a key aspect of your story that I know you wrote at the book mm-hmm. on the pastor's kid and you, you did grow up underneath, you know, you were John Piper's son. What, what was that like having expectations? And did you feel, and even hearing you say, you know, I never felt like I would be called into ministry. Was that something because you saw the path that your dad walked, you wanted to walk a different path? Like, what was it like kind of figuring out your own leadership yeah. when probably other people wanted to place some sort of leadership on you? Yeah, I I didn't, I don't remember feeling a lot of expectations from my parents in terms of you need to follow in dad's footsteps or whatever. My my parents' expectations were much more just, they, expectations probably that they, they really pushed for faithfulness towards Christ. That was their thing, which is good. (laughs) Good for them. (laughs) It was, it was elsewhere that I bucked against the expectations on me. Um, The the questions that start, you know, when, when you're a pastor's son, I don't know if pastor's daughters get the question quite the same way, but mm. pastor's sons here pretty regularly. So you're going to be a pastor like your dad. And probably by yeah. age eight, I was like, Nope. <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know, but not that. It's like the one yeah. job I know I'm not going to do. <laughs> um, and, and that, that attitude continued for a long time. And, um, and then, and then there was just, there was an aspect of kind of being overly aware of the challenges of church ministry. I don't want to deal with all that. People, people can be nasty, you know? Yeah. You, you've seen the behind the scenes yeah. that a lot of people don't see. And it took me a long time to realize I also saw the other behind the scenes, you know, where like elders stay up until 2 a.m. praying for somebody and you see people's lives changed. And these, these just sort of profound, beautiful things that don't always get publicized. So I, I took me a while to realize, oh, i that's all part of church too. Like there's, mm. it's not just an ugly underbelly. Um, but really I think it was just a contrarian streak. It was simply a matter of, I need to find my own way. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't my own way. And some of that was wrong. You know, some of it was me probably um, just arrogantly refusing to do something that might've been beneficial, but that's hard to say now because in God's timing, he put me where I am and I would, wouldn't change that for anything. And so um, that sort of meandering road professionally to get to a place of ministry um, was, was what I needed because it, he left me, it, he left me with no question. There wasn't a, well, you should try this first. So I was like, nope, I tried all the other stuff that I thought I might be good at different aspects of this. I did the Christian a Christian business thing for a lot of years. So it was Christian ministry, but not church ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I kind of checked all the boxes of like, you're kind of circling, spiraling closer and closer <laughs> to this thing. And I, I think other people saw it before I did. I had a couple people mm-hmm. who were, who kind of called it in advance. You know, I really? think, I think you will, or you really should consider. And I just ignored yeah. them because that's what contrarians do. Um, <laughs> But you have they, to understand because you said that I will not be doing. That. Yeah, exactly. There's just sort of like a well. Now you've now you've drawn a line in the sand, and so we have a challenge. Which yeah. you know that that's one of those two sided coins where that's a good. Yeah. You you can accomplish things that way, and you can harm yourself that way too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the expectations. I think I'll say this: where I'm at now, 
I think they benefited me because I, because I don't have any doubts or questions or fears about, am I in the place that I am supposed to be in? Um, Mm -hmm. It just took me a longer time to get here because of fighting against expectations. And I think I'm also in a place where I feel free to learn how to do ministry uh, without the shadow of expectations or the shadow of my last name hanging over me in the same way. Yeah. That's, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing and being patient with that question too. Uh, I'm sure you get it a lot and that is a very, I'm sure you talk about it a lot more than you want to, but with this podcast, I think it's really, really helpful because we are talking to a lot of young leaders and there probably are a lot of young leaders, men and women that are listening to this podcast, whose parents are in ministry or something, something bigger than themselves. And they probably get that question a lot. And I, and we're all like, we all bring rebellion. Like we're all, we all have rebellion in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like, it's like, we're all ragamuffin Christians. And we, I relate to pieces of your journey. Um, I didn't want to like walk down the aisle and surrender to ministry because all my friends were doing that. And I was like, I mean, I can just like conform, I guess, but right. I don't really want to. <laughs> um, and so like, it took me a while to get back into the local church and that just made that transition here in Austin. So I definitely relate to a lot of that, but what would you say to, um, kind of a two-parter, I don't mean to make this sound confusing, but what would you say to the young leader listening right now and to, of like, what steps do I need to be taking to find my own journey if I'm living in, you know, my parents' shadow mm-hmm. or somebody else's shadow and also like, did Barnabas, did you ever along the way, not just, uh, not just necessarily avoiding the local church, but avoiding leadership in general, because I mean, your dad is a pastor and a well-known one, but that also did make him a very, a very influential leader, you know, in the world, um, still is. Yeah. So did you ever like shy away from leadership as well? Um, well, let me answer the second part of the question first. Uh, yep. in terms of shying away, I shied away from the responsibilities of leadership. I liked mm-hmm. I liked the upfront aspect. I liked the influence aspect, and I did not like the work that came with leadership. <laughs> um, so I, I just I didn't like the fact that more is demanded of leaders. More mm. is expected of leaders. I mean, there, there's another part of that expectations question, but more is expected in terms of show up early, stay late. Sometimes those are unfair expectations. Uh, you you are the one who gets the calls when there's a problem. You are the buck stopper, which means that if somebody else does something wrong, it's ultimately your responsibility. Like I didn't want any of that. Like they, I liked passing the buck and I liked taking the credit, uh, which is the opposite <laughs> of leadership. You know, you should pass the credit and take the blame as, as yeah. opposed to the other way around. Yeah. So, uh, I, it, I, yes, I avoided leadership, uh, at various points, especially in the church. Um, mm-hmm. I was content to sort of be like in a, in a class of people where somebody else was doing the teaching and all the work. And I was just like the vocal participant who might've maybe known more than the teacher or something like that. And, like and, direction. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The well actually guy who everybody loves. Um, and <laughs> instead of just saying, maybe this is a thing that I should take responsibility for uh, and you know, use whatever gifts, knowledge God's given me to, to do that. And it took a while for me to get around to that. So yes, I have hundred percent avoided leadership at times. And that's probably still a temptation for me. I think I have to conscientiously, mm. you know, maybe every week at some point step into my job is to take the burdens off the other people mm. and pass the praise and the credit and everything instead of 
being in leadership for the sake of my own ego and comfort. Like there's just no, there just isn't a place for ego and comfort in good leadership. Yep. Yep. Um, and so that's, yeah. And I'd, I'd call that a learning curve. I don't know how good I am at it, but it's, it's something I'm aware of now. I didn't used to be. Um, the first part of the question in terms of uh, steps to take for young leaders who might be kind of under a shadow. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is um, one of the biggest mistakes I made was avoiding instead of pursuing. So trying not to be something instead of taking the time to understand what is it that God has made me to be, what gifts has God given me, um, what position has God put me in that gives a direction. And if we are marked by the things we're trying to avoid, we're just, we're aimless. Um, mm. you, you know, it's just, it's like watching kids play tag. You know, they just sort of run around to avoid whoever's it, but they don't go anywhere. Whereas like, really good. if you're running yeah. a race, there's a finish line and like, you go there. Maybe it's an obstacle course and you have to go over and around some things, but like there's a, there's a point, there's an objective. You're trying to get to a place. And I think for, if you're in the shadow of somebody else, whether it's because you share a last name with a famous person or you're coming out of an organization that's dominated by a personality or whatever, I don't know, whatever the circumstances are, have an objective in mind. Uh, and ideally a character objective, not an accomplishment objective. Because you, you, if you reverse those, you get things screwed up. So an objective of maturity, an objective of growing in wisdom. I mean, go, go read Proverbs once a month and uh, let that kind of yeah. shape how you, how you define objectives. Um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's that. And then steadfastly refuse to be resentful. Um, resentful mm. of the shadow that you were under. It took me a long time to figure that out, uh, to, to even kind of recognize it. And once I was able to recognize it, my relationship with my dad began to improve dramatically because I, I was never antagonistic to him. I just was, I kind of kept him at arm's length. Mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. What a loss. That's stupid. Yeah. Um, and, and it was hindering me and hindering our relationship. So just stiff arming resentment instead of stiff arming the person you're resentful toward and pursuing an objective instead of, instead of avoiding expectation or whatever, just be pursuing something. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that. I got one more question, then we'll get to our quick hitters. <laughs> um, let me see here. Where's Okay, so last question. What was your, and we, you've, you've talked a lot about um, maybe the spirit of what you've gone through in your mm -hmm. leadership journey, but like, what was literally your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Like, what, what was the moment where you're like, oh, this was, this was very, very dumb of me to, to make this decision or do this thing or say this thing? Oh, man. Um, man, it's hard to pick a biggest one <laughs> for, for a couple reasons. One is by God's grace. I think I've avoided anything that was like catastrophic for the organization right. costing right. millions of dollars or whatever. The number of times I've had to apologize to people for things that come out of my mouth, you know, you're not aware <laughs> of who's in the room and you make a joke, uh, or you just, I think I'm funny and they, they don't think I'm funny. They think I'm offensive. Um, or, or you overlook somebody, you make somebody feel little. Those are my, I think those mm -hmm. are my least favorite. I, if I accidentally offend somebody, I usually kind of am like, yeah, that was, you were the wrong audience for that. Um, <laughs> if I make somebody feel smaller and significant, then, and then I was in the wrong, you know, I, yeah. I, I insulted something about their, mm. their character, their value. I didn't, 
I didn't praise them the way they ought. Mm. And those are, those are the things that stand out to me. Um, and I think, again, that's because my, my philosophy of leadership is much less objective driven than it is character driven, just because I know where my weaknesses are. I feel like objectives take care of themselves. Um, if you, if you have, a, if you have the right character, the right people in place, and you're just kind of handling things well. Um, and so it's the character driven failures that get me the most. The ones where I, I failed yeah. to care for someone well. Those are the mm-hmm. ones that stand out to me most in terms of like those, they, they leave the, like, I feel like I got an F as a leader in those moments. Hmm. I've been in those too. It's, uh, uh, you can, I can mess up on like a $5,000 budget thing yeah. and I might lose 5k or something. And it's like not small, but it's not not huge comparatively right. to some of the budgets that you see. But man, when I really hurt someone when I shouldn't have, that feels so much worse. Yeah. And to rebuild that takes longer than $5,000. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I mean, or, or you make a mistake that costs somebody else work, you know, you make a mm-hmm. mistake and then somebody else spends a 20 hour workday making up for your flop. I, those moments are terrible too. And that, that's not leader specific. I think you can do that at any position. Um, but the, I, yeah, I don't like burdening other people, either burdening their soul or, you know, their spirit or burdening their, you know, their time and their wallets. I don't need either one. Good work. Good work. Well, Hey, before we get to the quick hitters, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. In the midst of this unique season, Ministry Grid wants to help your church stay on the same page and maintain discipleship. Their hope is to help you continue to accomplish equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, even during social distancing. With Ministry Grid, you can train your volunteers on new or updated policies and procedures, resource your staff on new or updated ministry structures and responsibilities, share digital access to Bible studies for groups and classes meeting online, and equip families in at-home discipleship. And here's the best news of all. Ministry Grid is offering a special offer just for our podcast listeners. To learn more about this offer, go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited access for $3.99 a year. This offer is only valid through October 31st at midnight, so make sure you sign up before the end of the month. Now, once again, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, back to the podcast. Well, let's get to the quick hitters here, and these are just going to be short one-minute answers, and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? Ideal daily routine. Um, I usually get up around five. Um, well, my ideal daily routine has changed recently because I got married a few weeks ago, which means I'm still yeah. figuring it out. Um, you know, when I when I wasn't married, my time was my own in, for half the day at least. So <laughs> let's let's go ideal current daily routine as as I'm figuring it out. So get up around five. Um, uh, my wife leaves for work around six, so she's getting ready for work. So I'm making coffee, getting in the word. Uh, usually I spend, you know, that first part of the day is just kind of getting the day laid out. So making sure my to-do list is in order. What do I need to like, what are the must do's for today? Um, she leaves for work. And then that's kind of when I get, that's when I really get into the word. Cause it's, you know, it's me and coffee in the Bible and there's right. no one else around. Um, and then from there, um, Hopefully I have time to like get in a run or something. I try to do that a few times a week, some, some sort of physical exercise. Cause I've just found that to be, 
I'm not a workout fiend, but being healthy helps every other area of life. I'm more clear headed, better spiritual health. And then usually I'm, I'm at the church most weekdays. Um, and some of those days are very meeting heavy, not corporate meetings. Like these are actually productive meetings because <laughs> it's a small number of people talking about things that matter instead of a large number of people who wonder why they're at the table. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then get home and so then it's good. yeah dinner, dinner with Lauren or with Lauren and my girls, depending on if, if they're there or not. And then sometimes trying to be productive in the evening, you know, if I have a writing deadline or something, um, Sometimes it's just kind of relaxing, getting stuff done around the house, whatever it is. Um, that routine changes pretty dramatically if I'm in the middle of a big writing project, because then just every spare window gets filled up with, I need to be outlining, need to be writing, things like that. But it's, that's sort of the basic rhythm we're trying to figure out. Uh, and then I haven't, I haven't dumped in the, yeah, I have, I have a book deadline due because I'm not working on anything currently. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your answer on this next question, but what's your, what's your favorite personality test? I think most personality tests serve very specific purposes. And I think most of them get used much more broadly than their specific purpose. Here's looking at you, Enneagram. Um, <laughs> I think the Enneagram is the most abused of all of the personality assessments and probably yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to go off on that. Uh, <laughs> from a work standpoint, I think StrengthsFinder, um, just it's the most helpful in defining who is good at what and, and how people work. Kind of motivation, uh, what do they excel at? And it really helps from a uh, understanding how to work with your coworkers or who to put in a position to handle what kind of work. Um, those are, those are, that's a really beneficial one. I found that to be, uh, very formative for me probably about 10 years ago in helping me figure out these are the things I need to figure out how to flex my muscles on at work. These are the things that I'm not very good at. So when I need, like, these are the things I need to ask for help with basically. Um, so I think StrengthsFinder from a work standpoint is, is probably the most uh, useful and beneficial. Do you know your top five? Not anymore. I forget them. Not anymore. I you get old them. enough and you just kind of are who you are. So... <laughs> I think I hit like 35 and, and I was like, ah, whatever. I just, I do these things. I'll just do. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't actually. <laughs> What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Um, I'll give two. One of them is probably less unusual than the other. One is journaling. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but, um, might've been Flannery O'Connor. Um, but basically it was like journals, journals are where we dump all the thoughts that otherwise we would pour all over our friends. Um, so it's, it's sort of the, mm. it's the internal processing, working things out. Um, but then there's also, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a prayer aspect to it. There's a gratitude aspect to it. Just a recording of the stuff that if you drag that stuff into conversations and personal life, it just muddies the waters and poisons the waters. So journaling is a really helpful one. The other is reading poetry um, hmm. because it's just, it's an entirely different frame of mind than A, any leadership book, B, any theology book. And those are the two categories of books that most of the listeners to this, I imagine, kind of major in. And it, and it, it, uh, it, it keeps the mind in tune with things that are um, emotive and beautiful. 
which in leadership really matter. Like it matters in motivation. It matters in understanding people. It matters in understanding God, you know, like God, God included a lot of poetry in the Bible. And if we're, if we just sort of tune that out, like if you're reading the Psalms as a theology book, not as poetry, you're, you're missing something that God is expressing. And so that's, that's one that just, it sort of gives, it takes something that is often black and white and rhythmic and, and adds an element of, of kind of color and melody and, and flavor to it. Mm. So of course you have the Psalms, but for somebody who hears that and is like, man, I do not read poetry. Where would I even begin? What would be like your beginner level intro to poetry? Okay. So poetry is a little bit like food in that there's a thousand different kinds and people can do it really well and you still won't like it. Uh, And then they'll do something else really well. And you're like, well, I love that one. So I would start with something that's a variety. So like, you usually, if you go to like a Barnes and Noble, they have all the discount books up front. You can usually find a collection of like 500 great poems for like $7.99 and just start reading it and taking note of what you like and don't like. Uh, my favorite collections are the ones that Garrison Keillor put together. They're just called Good Poems. Uh, so Good Poems is one. Then it's Good Poems uh, About America or Good Poems for Those in Hard Times. And it's just collections of poems and not even all famous poets, just stuff that had been submitted to their like radio show and stuff over the years. And it's just a variety. So I'd start there. It's a little bit like, uh, like a sampling. You just, that way you can figure out what it is that you like, what you don't like, what, what strikes your ear in a way that you're like, Oh, that one, that one's amazing. Hmm. What's your favorite app on your phone right now? Mm. He picks up phone. No, this is what everybody does. Huh? <laughs> I, I resent my phone right now. I just, <laughs> my phone is a constant distraction and annoyance. It's like a necessary evil. Um, I don't know. My phone is so functional to me that it's like, I do like all my financing and budgeting stuff on here and some social media. Uh, I don't really have a favorite. That's a lame answer, but I, I'm not a like, what's the next great app guy? And I'm not a, like a productivity guy. So I don't really use it. I'd say that the most useful one to me is like Google Calendar. It's just yeah. my, my brain and life and schedule exist in Google Calendar. And if I don't have that, I'm aimlessly wandering. I know you're, you're really active on Goodreads, uh, you know, mark all the books, leave reviews. I thought about trying to leave reviews for a while, but I did one. I was like, there's no way I could do this for every single book. No, I kind of, I kind of moved on where I leave star ratings for most books. And then if I think it's really good or really bad, I'll leave a review. Like most (laughs) of them are like, it was good. That gets three to four stars, whatever. And it's fine. Do you use the Goodreads app? Uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like that app a lot. That's a handy one. I want to go, I want to go back and look at, uh, like your one star reviews. There's some, he's got some funny ones on there. <laughs> There's not a ton need- because most of the time I, I gave myself, I discovered a few years ago that you don't have to finish books that you think are terrible. And so mm-hmm. I make it like two chapters in. I'm like, well, this is lame. Why would I waste yeah. another nine chapters of this or nine chapters worth of time? So I just don't read books that I don't like. That's there you fair. Go. That's what you, that, that is a good thing. <laughs> I think yeah. the problem was I discovered that around the time I was being assigned books by upper management at Lifeway, like here, read this marketing book. And I'd get two chapters in and go, I don't want to read the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> so then I wouldn't, but that's okay because they assigned a different one every two weeks and forgot about the previous one. So <laughs> oh. nope, no comment. 
Speaking of books, what has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Oh, best book I've read. Let's see. Um, I read, so the, the best book, just in terms of one that I loved the most was a book called, I think it was called Sun, like S-O-N by Philip Meyer. It's a Western epic. Um, and it kind of, it follows this family and it jumps between three different generations. So one thing that's happened in the late 1800s, one thing that's happened in like the forties and one thing that's happened in like the nineties. Um, and it was, it's just brilliantly written both the story as well as just the writing itself. I think the best one I've read from like a creative and work standpoint is, um, Robert Cairo's book. I'm trying to remember the title here. I think it's just called working. Yeah. Robert Cairo's book working where it's, it's so Robert Cairo is, one of the most um, respected biographers uh, alive today. He has, but he's just, he's the most insane researcher of anybody I've ever heard of. Like he did, he's in the midst of working on a multiple volume uh, biography of Lyndon Johnson, which don't let this bore you folks. Just it's, you don't have to read the Lyndon Johnson stuff. Just read about Robert Carroll and listen to interviews with him. So he moved to the West Texas Hills, or I think it was where Lyndon Johnson grew up, just to yeah. understand mm -hmm. the people. Yeah. Like he wanted to understand this. Really? Lived there for like three or four years, uh, just wow. just for that. You know, he's a New Yorker, so he grew up on like Long Island or something. So that's a change. yeah, it was shift. <laughs> so it's called working, and it's just his reflections on his writing life. So habits, researching, how he got ahead, and it's. Uh, it's kind of a window into genius as well as a window into um, just what, what perseverance looks like in a project that he couldn't, like he just couldn't shake loose. So it's really, it's fascinating. And it's not a super long book. So I, I didn't re even realize this. I read The Passage of Power because uh, I, I was reading uh, Johnson's biography. I had no clue he would actually live down yeah. there. <laughs> That's crazy. That's really cool. Cool. Last question, Barnabas. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Man, one sentence. <laughs> I don't say anything. We talked about this one on the one year. And like, this is my favorite yeah. question because it really, you really have to yeah. just dial it down. Um, grow in humility and listen. Mm. I think I would just stop there. Um, Leadership skills are developable, you know, strategies you work with other people on, all that stuff. They, they'll take care of themselves. But if you grow in humility and you listen, so that's listening to the Lord, listening to mm -hmm. your coworkers, listening to the people who are above you, the people you're leading, uh, you will, you'll, you'll go in the right direction and you'll be in the right <laughs> posture. Yeah, good word. Well, Barnabas, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, uh, shoot us a DM. We'd love to connect and hear what you're finding helpful about the podcast. See you next week. Peace.